Well, again, thank you so much for allowing us into your homes. Let me just uh, share with you, uh, I am so excited. The, the month of August is an interesting month in the life of a church. It's, it's a month in which we prepare and get ready. A lot going on behind the scenes uh, to get ready for a new ministry season, uh, which uh, for us launches the Sunday after Labor Day, and we're going to start a new series. Uh, our staff team met this past week, uh, and we planned out uh, from you know September all the way through Christmas. I'm not going to share with you what we're doing yet, uh, but we will be sharing uh, in just a week or two uh, the name of the series and uh, the name of the study that goes with it. We're just going to have a great time sort of resetting uh, the ministry uh, initiatives and plans for uh, the fall. So I'm really uh, looking forward to those and encourage you uh, to pray for those. Also, uh, as we launch our new ministry season in September, we're going to actually put something in your hands. Uh, again, I won't tell you exactly what it is yet. It, it's coming. We're going to put something in your hands that's going to make it easier for you uh, to invite your friends to join you uh, online uh, with us or uh, whenever we regather, join uh, in person with you. So we want to also equip you uh, to be on mission for Jesus right there uh, in your neighborhood. Now, uh, speaking of regathering, uh, I can't wait for the August 23rd and 30th test runs. These uh, two Sundays are test runs for us. Uh, we have not yet set a regathering date. Our, our Servant Leadership Council will be looking at that again in August. But uh, again, let me encourage you, we need about, what, 10, 12 volunteers uh, that are willing to come and to be pioneers, uh, to be uh, test run. I almost said crash dummies. I don't mean it that way, okay? So don't, not that. But, but anyway, pioneers that will come and experience uh, our uh, service uh, as a test run for us. We're going to also uh, encourage and we're going to ask for the, the 10 or 12 people that come both those Sundays to give us feedback on what we can improve uh, before we bring the congregation back uh, to regather. So please, uh, if you're willing to volunteer, uh, we encourage uh, you to do that. Trust me, we will keep you safe. That's our, our purpose here. And that's why we're asking you to come is to help us see uh, those last few things uh, that we need to do. Well, let me encourage you to go ahead and uh, turn or launch uh, your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32, uh, verses 22 through 31. And today, as Brian mentioned earlier, our text is going to feature uh, the patriarch Jacob. So in the Old Testament, we have three patriarchs. You usually hear them, uh, you'll often see uh, different uh, phrases in the Old Testament say, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Today we're going to talk about Jacob. Now before we read uh, our text this morning, Genesis uh, 32, 22 through 31. Let me just give you a little bit of the wiki uh, on, on Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac, and he was the grandson of Abraham, so that naturally then makes him the youngest of the three patriarchs. He was also the youngest of twin brothers, uh, with his older brother Esau being born first. When we read the story of Jacob, to be honest with you, um, he doesn't come off at first as a very compelling character. And he is, uh, his character is really uh, complicated. Esau was uh, favored by his father, and Jacob was favored by his mother. When you read uh, the beginnings of their story, uh, we're told that Esau uh, went out hunting uh, with his father, while Jacob uh, was, I love this little phrase uh, the NIV says about Jacob, he was content to stay in the tent. Now, I think that makes Jacob pretty smart. It was pretty hot there, 
And so he was just content to hang around uh, in the tent. And one of the things that we see early on is Jacob was a guy that hardly had any empathy, uh, it seemed like, for his brother Esau. So for example, one day uh, Jacob was, was in the tent. Uh, he was making this incredible stew, a stew that would have survived uh, an episode of Chopped. And Esau comes in, and Esau is famished from being out in the fields and uh, hunting. And Esau comes in, and, and Jacob sees his brother, and he doesn't say, hey, here, let me give you some of my really good stew. Instead, Esau, uh, Jacob makes him barter for it, and he makes Esau give him his birthright just for a bowl of stew. And then later on, uh, we learn that, that Jacob conspired with his mother to have Isaac, his father, who, was, who was, had a failing eyesight, he conspired with his mother to get Isaac to give him the blessing. And the blessing in, in the ancient Near East, it was so powerful. The blessing that he received that was rightfully Esau's, right? But the blessing that Jacob received conferred with it you know, financial prosperity. It conferred this sense of, of special and powerful future and, and the sense of power in the family, well, Jacob eventually leaves the land of Canaan, and he gets married to two daughters of a guy named Laban. One daughter was named Rachel. Uh, the other was named Leah. Now, let me just offer uh, this word, and it's something I, I say often around here. It wasn't unusual in the ancient Near East for a man to have more than one wife. And what we have to keep in mind is the biblical principle that we talk about often here. There are things that the Bible describes with a D that the Bible does not prescribe with a P. So when you're reading a, a, maybe a challenging passage in the Old Testament, for example, and, and you're reading something, you say, wow, that's just not how it is today. Or even as I continue to read the Bible, I see that, that marriage is between one man and, and one woman. Well, the Bible will describe something without prescribing something, something to keep in mind. Well, we fast forward a bit on the wiki of Jacob, and we learn that he had 12 sons uh, by four women, two wives and two servants, and all 12 sons were heads of the tribes of Israel. So he works for his father-in-law. That's another thing about uh, Jacob. Anybody that's worked for their in-laws know that can be a tense situation. And then one day in a dream, God called Jacob to return to the land of Canaan, and so he heads out. So God calls him to go back to the promised land. God calls him, and then he heads out, and this is where we find our text this morning. Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 31. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons. By the way, he had not yet had Benjamin, his 12th son, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? And Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. 
So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Just let that story sink in for a moment. I mean, that is a fascinating story. It's not every day you read about a man with two wives, two mistresses, 11 sons, a bunch of goats, sheep, and camels take a trip, and on the way, he wrestles with what appears to be God or an angel. Most scholars believe that the wrestling match was with an angel of the Lord, but either way, the wrestler represented the power of God. Now, I know we are living in crazy times, but you just don't see that every day. But let's don't dismiss this account in the life of Jacob so quickly. The details, of course, will differ. But in a lot of ways, Jacob's story is our story. For you see, what we find in this story is a blueprint for how God often works in the lives of his people. And let me just throw out the the big idea or the thesis for us right away. And that is, if you want to fulfill the purposes of God, you first have to wrestle with the angel to get the blessing. It was God's call on the life of Jacob to be a patriarch of the nation and returned to the promised land. But before he could step into that call, he had to wrestle with the angel to get the blessing. Now, I want us to zoom in on this story just a little more this morning so we can see how this applies to each one of our faith journeys. But before we do, let me ask you to bring to mind a particular call that God has on your life right now. And specifically, I want you to bring to mind a call from God that you know to be certain, that you know to be true. You know, often when we talk about pursuing God's will or God's call, we talk about trying to discover what it is. Jacob knew for certain that God was calling him to Canaan. And my guess is most of us know today something very certain that God is calling us toward this morning. For some of you, it may be to be a better husband or a better wife, and that's the call that God has on you right now, and you know it. Or maybe it's to be a better friend to someone or a new friend to someone. Maybe it's to be a person who encourages and and helps others in their time of need. Maybe for some of you, it's to be a person who is a connector. Your call by God is to help people feel connected to the body of Christ through faith and through fellowship. Maybe for some of you, the call is to be a a table group or, or a Bible study leader or a mentor to younger people. Maybe for some of you, you know God is calling you to be a helper for senior citizens. Maybe some of you this morning feel a call or a nudge by God to pursue healing for some area in your life or a call to reconciliation and forgiveness. But what I want you to do is just surface, bring to mind a nudge or a call or an inkling that God has placed in your life and just let that be there in your mind as we zoom in on the way that God often works for us. Now, before we continue more, I want to acknowledge a scholar's work on this passage. John H. Walton is an Old Testament professor 
at Wheaton College. He's wrote a commentary on Genesis that is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, I encourage you, John H. Walton, NIV Interpretation Series. Hats off to him. The first thing I want us to see, and I don't want us to overlook this, is that God wants to change us in order to bless us to pursue his call. Think about this for a moment. It was God who called Jacob to return to Canaan, right? But now on his way, Jacob sends his traveling party across the river of the Jabbok. He stays behind, and just before he enters in, God stops him and wrestles with him. Now, can you imagine him being confused for a minute? You know, God, you called me to go here. I've sent all of my people and my possessions across the river, and now you're wrestling with me. It's almost like you're keeping me from doing that which you called me to do. Now, why would God do this? Well, it's not the only time that God did this, and we see this in Scripture, for example. God stopped Moses on the way to Egypt and did business with him for killing the Egyptian. God gave the prophet Balaam permission to go with Balak, the king of Moab, but then stopped him on the way and humbled him. So God often issues the call, but then deals with us first before we're able to step in and receive the blessing of that call. That's God's MO. God, another thing we say around here often, it bears repeating, God does not call the elite and the equipped God calls, and then God equips. Huge difference. Write that down somewhere. God does not call people who are equipped first. No. God always calls, and then he brings the equipping into our lives. And we always have to be aware of that. You know, I believe we can all find ourselves wrestling on the banks of the Jabbok as we seek to return home. No, not physical home but to the side and call of God, which is our ultimate home. You see, the heart of God is to love you incredibly and to love you unconditionally. And God's love is intended to move. I mean, it's intended to have direction in your life. It's intended to get into your life and work some things out of your life and put some things into your life. Again, another saying we say around here a lot, and it bears repeating, God loves you just the way you are, but loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. Let me say that again. God loves you just the way you are. We learn about this in Scripture. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. But God loves you too much to leave you the way he found you. Jacob was a scoundrel. He was a manipulator. His greatest weakness was self-reliance. He could always talk and scheme his way into what he wanted. I mean, his very name, Jacob, meant to supplant, to circumvent, or deceive. God loved Jacob incredibly, but needed to do business with Jacob before he was going to step into the blessing. God loved him incredibly, but had to do business with him before he could step in to the blessing. He needed to work some change in his life. And I'm not talking about the coins people are all nervous about that's not floating around right now. He needed to work transformation in Jacob's life. Change is something we all have, we've all had to embrace over the last five months, is it not? Let me just give you a practical snapshot of change here at OTCC, for example. This room is empty right now, with the exception of Brian and Alan, our video tech, and Michael, our audio tech. 
we have chairs set up in this room ready uh, for the time that we regather. Matter of fact, you know, we're going to try an experiment this morning. Bear with me. Uh, Brian is going to just turn the camera around so you can get a glimpse of the sanctuary. So go ahead, Brian, will you do that? See, he's turning up, forgive my mess on the windowsill over there. That's kind of where I stage all my stuff, coffee and water and Nationals mask. Don't get me off on the Nationals right now. And you see there's the back, and Brian's going to bring it back around. See, these chairs are waiting for you. Uh, We're praying for you for that one day when we regather again uh, safely. I'll wave. Brian's going to take it around the other way. Brian's going to moonlight as a camera person. Uh, for the local news show one day. Is that good? And you see this little uh, backdrop thing we have. Uh, We're going to use that mostly in the fellowship hall, but we've got it in here now just to help us buffer some of the sound. But anyway, back. Here we go. All right, sooner or later, they'll get the camera just right. Is it kind of just right, Alan? Uh, That way some. (laughs) All right, this is, this is your, it's like, like it's, it, I don't know. Anyway, this is kind of fun. But see, that's just a snapshot of change right there. During the week, most of our staff works from home. I work out of the church most of the day, but I've moved my office to one of the kids' rooms uh, in the kids' side of the sanctuary building. So I cut down on how many times I'm walking through our narrow hallways by the people at uh, Together We Bake. This is just simply to cut down on on the potential for exposure. In the preschool room next to where I work, there is a sign-up by the door that lists the teachers for the day. And here's what gets me. Every time I walk by that sign, it says March 8th. And it says there, uh, Chelsea Sellers and Cassandra Fox, they were the, the teachers for that day. That is the last day we were together in this room. I should probably take it down, but for some reason, I... I just want it there. For some reason, I just need to remember, maybe, how things were. Can you relate to this? Have some of you thought about, hey, this is the last time we did this before COVID, the last trip we took, maybe the last restaurant you ate in. Many of us have had to change vacation plans, school plans, work plans. Some of us are leaning into this season and taking stock of our lives and actually making changes because of COVID to get in better shape finalize the will or update the will, prioritize what really matters. The reality of where we are right now is that change is inevitable. The reality is we will not go back to normal, that the post-COVID season will be a new normal. You know, case in point, small example, but the sign that I, I look at every day has the name Cassandra Fox on it, and Cassandra and Dan have already moved to California. So even in that small way, it will, it will have to be a new normal, right? What a tangible metaphor. Change is intense right now. But the reality is God has always, always, from Genesis to now, and will continue into the future, God has always been in the business of change. Even more pointed, you can't follow into the life of Jesus without allowing Him to radically change your life. God will change us in order to send us to fulfill His call and His purposes. You see, I think we need to really be careful that we don't try to cross the river into the promised land and not expect change. 
Because if we, if we did this, if, if we tried to step into the life of faith and deeper in the life of faith without expecting God to do business with us, then what we're really trying to do is just kind of fit God in versus allowing God to have his way. The good news is we can trust God with the change that God wants to bring into our lives. The good news is he knows what he is doing. He changed Jacob's name to Israel, which means one who prevailed with God or one who struggled with God or one who sees God. So a weekly reflection for you to to maybe consider. Ask God to reveal changes that he wants to make in your life. Ask God to reveal how he wants those changes to occur. The second thing I want us to see is, is related, but it bears just sort of pulling out for a moment. You have to drop the baggage to receive the blessing. Let me say that again. You have to drop the baggage to receive the blessing. Let's go back to the wrestling match for a moment. At first glance, this wrestling match can be a real head-scratcher. The angel of God can't seem to overpower Jacob. And Jacob is 97 years old. And he wrestles all night. I mean, all night with the angel. That is a fitness level that is unheard of. What in the world is going on there? What does it mean that that Jacob wrestled the angel and, and couldn't overpower? Or the angel couldn't overpower Jacob? When the text tells us that the angel is unable to overcome Jacob, it is not suggesting that the angel is physically weaker. Remember, this is the angel that merely touches Jacob's hip, and he had a limp the next day. The angel wasn't weak at all. I mean, this angel could throw down. No, the idea that Jacob prevailed so long has to do with the concept that it took Jacob that long to surrender his stubborn will. Let me say that again. The idea that they wrestled so long was because it took that long for Jacob to submit his stubborn will. When you wrestle with God, you don't want to win that wrestling match. One writer wrote, There are victories far worse than defeats. And to overcome an angel too gentle to put out all his strength and ride away in triumph on the back of a devil is one of the poorest. Jacob finally relented when he told the angel he would not let go unless he would be blessed. Walton says this is an indication of Jacob's willingness to finally submit himself to God's demands. He was blessed with a new name. No longer is he the deceiver or conniver, as we mentioned earlier, but now his new name means one who sees God and one who's prevailed with God. You have to drop the baggage to get the blessing. Jacob had to surrender his self-sufficient ways in order to be blessed. He could not cross over and enter Canaan with this baggage. He had to leave it behind. Surrender is another way we say this. And surrender is a prerequisite to God's work in your life. I mean, it's really fascinating here. I mean, consider the depth of the theological reality here. The angel did not and would not overwhelm the will of Jacob. The angel would not and did not overwhelm the will of Jacob. The angel could have, but Jacob had to lay his will, his stubborn self-reliance, he had to lay that down himself. 
God desires to work change in your life. And the change God brings about is so much better than our old ways. But God will not force you. God will not force you to surrender. What are you carrying right now that is keeping you from the blessing? What do you need to lay down? For most of us, the baggage we carry is a character flaw like Jacob's. And we need to acknowledge it and lay it down. However, there may be some of us who need to be healed by God. And we need to face the pain of our wounds and allow God to bring healing and peace. Our wounds are are not baggage in the way that we normally use that term by any means. But if we don't deal with our wounds, they can create baggage that we cannot carry into Canaan. Let me say that again. If we don't deal with our pain or our wounds, they will create baggage that we can't carry into the blessing of God. This presents not so much a wrestling match with God as much as a time of opening our lives and trusting God's healing. It is interesting, after the wrestling match, Jacob limped. He felt the pain. And he was blessed. Our wounds and blessings often go together, don't they? There are many times that our wounds actually give way to a deeper understanding of God. And that is a real blessing. Either way, the key is to grab hold of God and not let go until we either submit a character flaw or until He has done His good work of healing in our lives. In other words, grab God and hang on to God and don't let go until you have gotten to that place of surrender. God blessed Jacob when he put his baggage down. Then look what happened. The text says he saw God face to face. Once he laid down his reliance on himself, he could see himself from God's perspective, which allowed him then to truly see God. Let me say that again. He saw himself from God's perspective, which then allowed him to see God. So people of God, we need to see that that we are created in the image and the likeness of God, that we are image bearers of God in this world. When we see ourselves from God's perspective, it changes. When we see ourselves the way God sees us, it changes the way we see God. When we realize that, that we are loved unconditionally, it changes the way we see God. This is really important for us to realize. Does it not compel us to soul searching this morning? This leaves us with another great question to take with us through the week. What must we do to see God face to face? Or asked a different way, how does God want us to see ourselves so that then we can truly see Him? Walton says, what reality do we need to learn about ourselves? What sacrifice do we need to be asked to make in order to stand before God and look Him in the face? Well, I love how the next episode in Jacob's life rolls out. He meets up with Esau. Esau, his older brother from whom he stole the birthright, his twin from whom he was estranged. Jacob met up with Esau after the wrestling match with God, after realizing and seeing that he needed to surrender his will. He meets up with Esau and he repented and he bowed down to him and Esau hugged and kissed him. That's what happens when we let God have his way with us. That's what happens when we surrender and lay down 
the baggage that keeps us from the blessing. If we want to be men and women God wants us to be, the men and women God wants us to be, we have to wrestle the angel to get the blessing. Amen and amen. Well, this morning, I I want to invite you to participate in this time of celebrating our Lord Jesus. You know, I couldn't read this story about Jacob surrendering and holding on so long before he laid down his will. And boy, my, my heart and my mind just flashed to Jesus in Golgotha where he prayed before he encountered the cross and where he sweat drops of blood, Scripture tells us. And yet, he didn't wrestle all night, did he? He looked to the Lord and said, not, your will, but, not my will, but your will be done. And then he went to the cross and died for our sins. Our Lord had that moment and yet had that moment of surrendering completely and fully to the will of God. And that's the call for each one of us today as we remember Him.